We are starting a new series this morning, and this will take us, Lord willing, through the next couple of months, and we'll look up and see where we are. But we're going to start a series on Proverbs, and this is a book of the Old Testament. Um, you may or may not be familiar with it. You probably have heard some of them, whether you, know, whether you knew it was from Proverbs or not. But uh, you study this book really in a, in a different way than other books of the Bible, like if we were studying in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we just sort of take an episode at a time or maybe half a chapter at a time. But Proverbs is not laid out that way. You sort of have to grab from here and there and batch things together and look at themes. So really what I want to do this morning, I'm not even going to start with the first chapter. I just want to give some intro about this book and, and why we want to study it and what this is about. So we'll be in a few passages that are there. I'm going to read the first three and uh, then I'll read the fourth one later on in the ser- uh, sermon. Let me ask you this. Have you heard the name Jordan Peterson yet? I see a few nods. Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson is a professor of psychology at the University of Toronto. Very academic background. I believe he was um, staff or fac- faculty at uh, Harvard for several years. So very academic figure And um, he has a growing fan base of young men. And uh, and he's been sort of a lightning rod figure. He's been very critical of political correctness and things like that. But it's interesting. You've got this person who's written at a very high level, very high register academically, but there's this growing fan base of, you know, 20-somethings, 30-somethings for Jordan Peterson. And he just came out with a book at the beginning of this year called 12 Rules, and, what he, and, he's, and, he's, and he lays it out as these are rules for living your life in the midst of all the chaos. And it seems that there's a real, he's striking a chord with a lot of people that, hey, I'm living my life and it's not like I can answer all the questions coming at me with just a few easy maxims, you know, or just to obey these few rules. Uh, I, I have confusion and question marks all the time. So he's really struck a chord with a lot of people. Did you know also that in our moment right now that um, the philosophy of Stoicism is experiencing a huge resurgence in the United States? Uh, uh, In Silicon Valley, Stoicism is is sort of hip right now. One of the lead podcasters in the United States, Tim Ferriss, big advocate of uh, Stoic thought, what you can learn from Stoic writers, he helped uh, put together an audio book called The Tao of Seneca, and Seneca was a Roman Stoic writer and thinker. Now, why is this? Why is it in our cultural moment that you have um, gravitating towards certain figures or writers or movements like that that offer insight? It's because our cultural moment is like all cultural moments. Life is complex and life is hard and very few things seem super black and white. And a lot of life, and really in some ways most of life, is lived in the nuances, in the gray. I'm not saying there's not such a thing as truth. I'm just saying so much that comes at us is confusing. And right here in the middle of the Bible, you've got this book of Proverbs that acknowledges that life is full of nuance. And you don't just need more smarts. And you don't just need more training and education. And you don't just need like a better network. There is this thing that you need 
to live life well called wisdom. And if you're going to have this, you're not going to get it overnight. You're going to have to train in it. And so there's this God, really the whole Bible, but there's this specific book to train us in the wisdom that we need so desperately. So let's look at this. Again, I'm I'm just going to read these first three passages as representative of why this book is is worth our time. Beginning in Proverbs chapter 3. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. Then from chapter 8, beginning in verse 10. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels. And all that you may desire cannot compare with her. In chapter 16, verse 16. How much better to get wisdom than gold? To get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Our Father, as we continue to worship together, we want to say what you already know so well, and that is that we desperately need wisdom. And we might be in a time of life where we feel it acutely, that with, a, with our money or with a family member or with a challenge in our life or a time of suffering, that we, we need wisdom about the next step to take. And so we of all people say, as we worship, please open our ears and help us. You've said, if anybody lacks wisdom, to ask you and not to doubt. And so, Father, we're asking for wisdom. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. A few years ago, I read an article by a guy. He, at that time, he was a pastor out west, I believe in Montana. And as a pastor, he, he had taken up sort of a side interest in what's called new urbanism. And new urbanism was a movement that really sort of came into its own at the beginning of the, the 2000s. And it was, it was a return to old principles of how you design a town or a city or a neighborhood. And so instead of the model that like dominates in the United States, suburbia and like big chunks of houses and then big chunks of retail, and that it was the old model of small blocks, uh, walkable destinations, common gathering areas, very humane. So uh, he began, uh, he actually wrote a book about it, became fascinated with it. And so he was, he's pastoring out west and he had the opportunity to visit a town that he had really wanted to visit, Seaside, Florida. And some of you may know Seaside. It's on the panhandle of Florida. Seaside was essentially built from scratch, panhandle of Florida, implementing these principles of new urbanism or traditional neighborhood design. So uh, small blocks, alleyways for walking and, and uh, bikeable distances and large common gathering area and retail is not in giant boxes. It's, you know, humane sized stores. So all these things, the way towns used to be built, they're supposed to facilitate like connection and being neighbors and the houses have porches and all that good stuff. So 
he's, he's excited to go to Seaside. So he goes and he's there for several days and he wrote a reflection on it. And he said, you know, it was really interesting to see and it was surprising because what I found was no community. And, and it was really a letdown because I thought, wow, they've, they've built the infrastructure that, you know, instead of us pulling into our garage and the door going down behind me and I never talked to anybody beside me, all these opportunities for connection, all these opportunities for community. And he said, and it didn't happen. Now, why am I bringing that example up? I, I want you to think of that as a visual for just because you build an infrastructure for something doesn't mean you're always going to get the something. And here's where that becomes very personal. And, and you, th- when, I, when I say this, you may either think of someone in your family or someone that you know. Probably everybody in here knows somebody that they grew up and their family gave them great infrastructure. Like, you know, what, what does a child need? A child needs supportive parents. They were supportive parents. Uh, a child needs to not worry about their basic needs. They did not worry about their basic needs and then some, over and above. A child needs a great educational foundation. They got a great educational foundation. A child needs to build good stuff on top of the foundation. They got them in the best school they could. They made sure that this child was healthy. They made sure that this child had good resources, outside help. Uh, extracurricular activities to round out their resume. They made sure their child got into the best school possible where they can have the greatest opportunities and on and on and on. In other words, like all the infrastructure was there to do life well. And then he or she does not do life well. And like the wheels come off. And thinking of the city and the town built for community, but community doesn't necessarily happen. If you're from Seaside, no offense at all. I like Seaside. I'm pro-Seaside. I'm just using this example. But you've seen where, where, you know, a child and then a young man, young woman was given all the infrastructure for a life to be lived well, and life was not lived well. And because life is complicated and those circumstances are complicated, I don't want to just boil it down to, and the one thing that happened is, but in some ways you could say, the thing that was missing in his or her life is wisdom. And I really want you to hear this. Proverbs does not come to men and women and children and say, hey, look, here's, here's sort of a compartment of your life. You know, here's like a little side aspect that you might want to look into. So like keep yourself physically fit and, you know, hydrate and drive at 10 and 2 and, um, you know, have well-rounded activities and hopefully a rewarding vocation and, and also work on wisdom. Proverbs grabs you by the lapel and says, if you don't get wisdom, you, if you don't think about it and fight for it and reflect on it and work it out in community with other people, your wheels will come off. And it doesn't just give you a negative view. It gives you a beautiful view of, ah, but if you find wisdom, here's what she offers you. So here's how I want to introduce this or unpack this this morning is um, three things. The urgency of wisdom. I think you've already kind of heard that. The urgency of wisdom, the meaning of wisdom, like let's define it. What is wisdom? 
and then the call of wisdom. Okay, so the urgency and the meaning and the call. Now, the urgency, let me, let me read this first passage again. And like, before I read it, do this for me. I want you to have a mental picture. When it says gold, I don't want you to hear like sort of flowery language about gold and silver. I want you to picture all those commercials that we get pounded with from financial companies about you need to diversify your portfolio and have gold in your portfolio. And they show you stacks of coins and stacks of gold bullion. And let's admit we're all thinking, I'd kind of like a stack. (laughs) That would be nice to have some stacks of those to uh, round out my otherwise massive portfolio. All right, I want you to pick like that. Let that be your visual. And, and believe me, Solomon, he had those piles. And here's what he says. Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. And again, I think when we hear that, what we hear is, I mean, it really, really is important, but we don't really feel that it's more important than money. And I want to push on that. Because Proverbs says repeatedly, it is more valuable than money, whether you do gold, silver, jewels, whatever version. Okay, I want you to picture this. Picture that you've got a young man, and because of his predecessor's who've done well, he is going to receive a trust fund of $10 million that will come available to him when he, when he reaches the age of 25. Now, $10 million is a game changer. I mean, it, it, it really would not matter if you're a 25-year-old, if you had done anything for retirement or chipped away at any debt. If you get $10 million, you should be set and then some, Right? So this hypothetical young man, he'll, come into, he'll have access to the trust fund when he reaches the age of 25. But here's two things you need to know about him. Number one, his life up to the age of 25 has shown that he is easily swayed by his friends. And the second thing is he hates advice. And just sitting here right now, can't you feel that this is going to be a train wreck? But can't you feel that his life is going to explode? And of course, the comeback could be, but he's got $10 million. He can get phenomenal counseling. He can go into an inpatient treatment center if he needed to go into like a luxurious inpatient treatment center. Yes, if he has the instincts to do so. But you'd have to be able to receive input and advice. That's a little window into when Proverbs says it's more precious than gold or silver or jewels. It's not kidding saying like, I mean, I know it's not, but I'm just trying to make a point. It's grabbing you saying, I'm not kidding that it's more important than money. It's more important than anything. So urgency. All right, so what is wisdom? How do do you define it? The Bible doesn't just kind of lay out a lot of convenient (laughs) definitions, but think about it this way. The very first passage in Proverbs, and I didn't quote it here, but it, it, it says, all right, this is for getting wisdom. And then it starts giving you all these different terms for it. It calls it instruction or guidance or discernment 
or discretion or wise dealing. And it's almost like it's handing you a jewel and it's moving the jewel and saying, all right, from this direction, it's discretion. Like it doesn't believe everything it sees. From this view, it's guidance. From this view, it's wise dealing. It knows how to handle different kinds of people in different ways. But the jewel itself is wisdom. Let me give you a few definitions by some Old Testament scholars when they just tried to boil down what is wisdom. Here's, here's one. I'm perching my nose, my glasses on my nose to look wise. <laughs> wisdom is, quote, uh, becoming competent with regard to the realities of life. Becoming competent with how to do the realities of life. Here's another one. Skill in the art of godly living. And that one is interesting because the Hebrew word for wisdom, that we translate wisdom, can also be translated skill. But it's skill for doing life. Here's what another scholar wrote. Wisdom, quote, enables us to cope with life and to achieve what would otherwise be impossible. Let me read that again. It enables us to cope with life and to achieve what would otherwise be impossible. Now, there's so much to say here, but think about this. If you have used this expression, or if you live with somebody that uses this expression, Proverbs can be very helpful for us. When people use the expression, hey, look, it's not complicated. Yes, it is. To say that about marriage or parenting, or personal finances, or the economy, or what to do about poverty, or racial relations. It's complicated. And so much of life is lived in these nuances and these tensions that are, it's tough to make a judgment call. Okay, let me give you an example from Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 26, Verse 4, it says this. Answer not a fool according to his folly, or you will become like him yourself. And, and this actually came up last week. In wisdom literature, a fool, that's not a put down. It's a diagnostic. It means somebody who rejects God and rejects his wisdom. And you're going to have fools in your life. So, all right, Proverbs 26, 4. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you'll become like him yourself. Next verse, answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. So whatever you do when you're interacting with a fool, do not answer him according to his folly, but you've got to answer him according to his folly. And if that leaves you going, I don't understand anymore. Proverbs is going, I know. (laughs) This is how real life feels. And it's so easy to give easy answers to things. You know, like, you know, it's not complicated, okay? You know, if people just got up an hour earlier and worked harder. (laughs) Typically what that means is life has worked for me. And why is it not working for you? But if you feel like, I just, you know, I, I know the Ten Commandments and I'm trying to be a decent person, and I, I'm trying to put one foot in front of the other, but these things come into my life, and I just don't know the next step to take, and, and my friends don't know the next step to take. Welcome to real life, and we need wisdom. 
Like, we need it. it. What I'm saying is that life is hard. So, what is the call of wisdom? And I want to end with this, uh, with this other passage, that fourth one at the bottom from chapter 8. And these passages leading up to it have already referred to wisdom as, as a she, or said her. But in chapter 8 of Proverbs, this is really cool, Proverbs is made out to be a beautiful, timelessly beautiful woman. It's really brilliant because some of the first hardcore students of Proverbs probably would have been small groups of young men. And, and so wisdom is likened to this timelessly beautiful woman. Uh, and then there's this other woman called Folly, and she's really good looking. And she's very seductive. And she's sort of looking at the young men doing this. And Proverbs is not just saying, okay, don't pay attention to her. Think about, you know, I don't know, math. It's saying, no, stay away from her, but have a love affair over here with wisdom. So it's like she's not a worldview or an abstraction. She's this beautiful woman to love. So here's, here's where that, that image really takes hold. Chapter 8, verse 1. Does not wisdom call? Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. So where all the people are. Beside the gates in front of the town, at the entrance of the portal, she cries aloud, To you, O men, I call, and my cry is to the children of man. This is so beautiful because it's saying, I'm not just calling out to the elites. I'm not just calling out to men. I'm not just calling out to Israelites. I'm calling out to any human being who will hear me and say, come over here and know me and see me. Enjoy me. Love me. Now, this creates a little bit of a head-scratcher. Did you have teachers that said, um, did you have teachers that said, we have to put on our thinking caps? All right, this is where I need you to put on your thinking cap. So, you've got Proverbs saying, it's urgent, got to have it, she's beautiful, go have a love affair with her, don't hang out with folly. Um, With whom did Jesus use his harshest words? What with the drunks? What with the prostitutes? Pharisees and scribes. The educated religious elite of the day, right? Okay, so here's the head scratcher. And on at least a couple of occasions, he actually called them fools. And let me just say this again that when Jesus does that, that's not a put down, it's a diagnostic. But they were Proverbs people. So, so Pharisees and scribes would have known Proverbs better than anybody in this room. I know for sure better than me. But at the end of the day, Jesus made a diagnostic. You're fools, you're not wise. Now, why is that? And I want to read you, and I don't think I've ever done this before. I want to read you something from the Apocrypha. These are books not included in the Protestant Bible. So as I read this to you, I am not reading from the Bible right now. But what I am reading from 
is an influential document, is, is from, I don't know how to pronounce it, if it's Sirach or Sirach. And the older name was Ecclesiasticus, but it would predate Jesus by about 200 years. And I'm not saying all the, you know, the kind of common people that listen to him, but educated Jewish listeners might have known the contents of this book. So this is from Sirach 6, and it picks up on this image of wisdom, the beautiful, timelessly beautiful woman. And listen to what it says about her. The instructor says, Listen, my son, and accept my judgment. Do not reject my counsel. Put your feet into her fetters and your neck into her collar. Put your shoulder under her and carry her. Wisdom. Now get this. Come to her with all your soul and keep her ways with all your might. At last you will find the rest she gives and she will be changed into joy for you. Now if you're listening and you're thinking, I feel like I've heard that before, but I've never read the Apocrypha. There's a reason. Because about 200 years later, not a woman, but a Jewish peasant man when he had just gotten into an exchange about something and prayed in front of everyone, Father, thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise. And then he says this, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And I'm not saying that every commoner that was there that day picked up on that reference, but to his educated listeners, they would understand he just identified himself as wisdom. Not, I teach it, I am wisdom. Wisdom became a person and came to earth. Like, not a metaphor for real. On another occasion, Jesus said, at the judgment, the queen of the south is going to have some things to say. You might have heard the queen of Sheba because she traveled from the corners of the earth to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. And then Jesus said, and something greater than Solomon is here. And he's talking about himself. And just, just a few months ago, we looked at Colossians. The Apostle Paul says, In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Not most. All of them. And I really want you to grab this. that when, like Wisdom calling to you, I don't want you to hear that as there's a worldview calling you. Or like a theological system calling you. For wisdom to call you, it's Jesus calling you. A person. Uh, I don't know who the seductress is for you. But it's one thing to say, hey, you don't have to be the most important person in the room. Go over here and be more Christian. Okay, In, in one way, true. But it's another thing to say, there's this voice saying, 
You need to be the funniest person in the room. You need to be the smartest person in the room. You need to be the most popular person in the room. You need to be the prettiest person in the room. And Jesus in his person is calling out saying, no, you do not. And I want you to come over here because I'm going to give you something better. But don't listen to her. I want you to listen to me. And I'll give you rest for your souls. Uh, Let me end with this, because this was one example where I just saw, really saw this play out. I I was at a, a conference one time, and I got to sit in a little group discussion and there was a man there, and he had written a, he'd written a book I read about defending the faith. You know, like defending Christianity, objections, questions. Very bright man. PhD from Harvard. And a really top-notch thinker. And so, and Harvard Divinity School is not what we would call like an evangelical Bible-believing school. A lot of theological um, unorthodoxy. So I asked him, how did you keep your wits about you? How did, how, did you? how did you keep your head straight when you were like around so many brilliant men and women who believed such different things about the Bible? And I thought he was about to just come up with this like cool, super sophisticated philosophical answer. And uh, he said, honestly, every day when I went to class, I looked at what they were offering me. And then I'd come home and I'd read the Gospels and I would see what Jesus was offering. And I just kept going with Jesus. Amen. Let's pray that that would take, take place in our hearts. Let's pray. Our Father, we'll simply say to you what you already know too well about us. We are seduced. We're seduced by foolishness all the time. A way that we feel like if I have this or own this or look this way or if I'm treated this way, if I have this in my life, then it'll be enough. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that your voice, you who are wisdom, that you would draw us to yourself and give us rest. And we ask this in your name. Amen.